0: afternoon everyone this is brewmaster austin on this episode of dungeons and brews we're doing a little captain's quarter rant uh where i'm going to be talking about a, t- a small topic here for about 15 to 20 minutes with our regularly scheduled programming coming back next week the reason for this is that we just did the first recording for alamond And it's going to take Mo a little bit of time to, uh, edit that down, to get it ready for you guys to hear and listen in on it. So we figured this would be a good way to have some content out for you guys. And let me just rant a little bit about a topic of my choosing. This week's topic is going to be underrated feats in D and D 5e now. As everyone might be aware, and for those of you who are newer, a feat is something that you can pick up in D&D through leveling up at levels 4, 8, 12, 16, and 20 for most classes. Fighters and rogues, I believe, get some extra ones, but for the general gist. And you can either take Um, an ability score improvement or you can pick a feat and there's a long list of feats there's a lot of really great ones however the three that i'm going to talk about today i think are a little bit underrated by the community when i see them talked about as well as i think at my own table so the three that i want to talk about today number one the crusher feat number two spell sniper and number three eldritch had it so the first feat Crusher. I'll go ahead and read the language for you fi- uh, guys. This is all f- the Crusher feat is from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So some DMs don't play with Tasha's. Just make sure that if you're going to take this feat, talk to your DM, make sure that they are using the Tasha's. Uh, so what it says is that you are practicing the art of crushing your enemies, granting you the following benefits. You increase your strength or constitution by one to a maximum of 20. Once per turn, when you hit a creature with an attack that deals bludgeoning damage, you can move it 5 feet to an unoccupied space, provided the target is no more than one size larger than you. And when you score a critical hit that deals bludgeoning damage to a creature, attack rolls against that creature are made with advantage until the start of your next turn. So the first thing that I want to talk about is that first bullet point. You get a plus 1 to the Strength or Con. Anytime a feat gives you a bonus like this, it's called a half feat which means it gives you some benefits, but also some st- stat increases. Strength and con are great for a lot of classes, especially, you know, your more martial characters. Con is definitely a great, uh, you know, a great stat to boost up. And notice that it says once per turn when you hit a creature with an attack that deals bludgeoning. So there are even some... Uh, spellcasters that have attacks that deal bludgeoning damage like catapult you could stack with this um you know there are other attacks that deal bludgeoning damage that are spells as well so don't think this is only limited to marshals but i would primarily take it on a marshal so that already is a great part of this feat. the next is that Moving creatures at all is always great, but most of the time in D&D, there's a limitation to the size of the creature. It says the creature must be large or smaller or whatever. This one, however, says the target cannot be more than one size larger than you. So if you have a way, like if you're a a Dwergar or someone has enlarge large or maybe a potion or something like that to increase your size of yourself or maybe you have the fighter subclass for the Rune Knight, and you could, you know, increase your size that way, Um, you could make yourself large and move huge creatures. And that is very, very powerful, very underrated. And the fact that there's no limitation on it makes this feat A tier, in my opinion. Then on top of all that, when you get a critical hit that deals bludgeoning damage, you can uh, give advantage basically to your whole party or any of your allies until the start of your next turn. So... This also would be really great to stack with some classes that get the ability to crit on maybe 18, 19, 20, like a champion fighter. Uh, Hexblade, uh, Warlock, with their, uh, you know, hex, the actual hex warrior hex on a target gets criticals on 19s and 20s. That means that you have a better and better chance of giving this advantage. And advantage is so good being able to give it to everybody on a critical strike along with the movement along with the stat increase, just really makes this feat underrated in my opinion so i would recommend picking it up if you are you know taking uh like a great club or a mall or something of that nature where you are going to be doing bludgeoning damage i think it's a really really undervalued feat mainly because most of the big hitting weapons do like your heavy crossbow does piercing Your great sword does slashing. Your great axe does slashing. So there is a little bit of a disadvantage in that aspect. But if you can talk with your DM and show that it's really, you know, not really that much of a difference to let you just have a great axe that's flavored as, you know, a giant hammer, I think most DMs would probably be okay with that. On to the second feat. The second feat that I want to talk about is Spell Sniper. So Spell Sniper is from the Player's Handbook. It's a general feat. Um, you do need the ability to cast at least one spell in order to take this feat, but what the wording of it says is you've learned techniques to enhance your attacks with certain kinds of spells and gain the following benefits. When you cast a spell that requires you to make an attack roll, the spell's range is doubled. Your range spell attack ignores half and three quarters cover, and you learn one cantrip that requires an attack roll. You can choose the cantrip from the bard, cleric, Druid, sorcerer, warlock, or wizard spell list. Your spell casting ability for this cantrip depends on the list you choose. So charisma for bards, sorcerer, and warlock; wisdom for cleric or druid; intelligence for wizard. Now, obviously, there are a ton of great uh, wizard cantrips. I mean, booming blade, press message, mind sliver. There, you could take vicious mockery. Um, well, I guess now you couldn't take vicious mockery, but you know you could take uh, Firebolt, Um, Ray of Frost, Eldridge Blast. I mean, there are a lot of really, really great Produce Flame um, cantrips that require an attack roll or a spell attack roll. And getting one of those cantrips for free from the feat is great. But the main things about this are, are that any spell that you have that has an attack roll, its range is doubled, so you can... Already see that that is making you comparable with a lot of martial classes. So, some things that do sometimes the martial classes with things like sharpshooter for someone using a bow can hit people at like a range of like three, four hundred feet, whereas most spells have a range of 120 ish, somewhere in there, 60 to 120. Doubling that range, so especially for something like Eldridge Blast, um, can really make you have a great ranged option that your class might not be you know, keen to have normally. And for some of those classes that have maybe a little bit of spellcasting here or there, like a paladin, it would be really great because paladins don't get um, cantrips right now in 5e. It would be really great to pick up one of those cantrips for a ranged option, since most of the time paladins don't typically have a ranged option. I see a lot of melee paladins. I don't see a lot of ranged uh, paladin things. So I think that having that option to do some damage uh, that ignores half and three quarters cover, which is important. You don't want to be missing if you're going to be using a hand trip. And being able to pick from any of those lists really gives you a lot of versatility. And then just the general buff to double your damage, especially on something like a sorcerer. So where I would see this probably most powerful, in my opinion, would be to pick it up on a sorcerer, pick up Eldritch Blast. Then you can have that, uh, you know, extended spell, or I forget what it is. There's one of the, uh, options for your metamagic that can give you extra range on your spell. So you can even make it, you know, longer. You could, uh, Use your Quicken spell to cast double Eldritch Blast. I mean, it's, it's really a great feat. And I think it's underutilized because people see, oh, well, I only get a cantrip, and they don't look at the other benefits that it gets, like ignoring cover and doubling the spell range. That alone, in my opinion, is worth the taking the feat on something, especially if you're going to be a very cantrip-heavy Uh, caster. So if you're going to be a warlock and you're going to be focusing on doing Hex and Eldritch Blast and just trying to get a bunch of Eldritch Blasts off having it at a longer range so you don't have to get closer is definitely worth it, especially for a tend to be squishier spellcasting class. The last thing, the last feat that I want to talk about is probably going to take me the longest to go through is called Eldritch Adept. So Eldritch Adept is a feat. Uh, that lets you take uh, your choice of some Eldritch invocations. So you're spellcasting for whatever the... I guess I should back up. This is from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything again. So remember, please make sure to check with your DM. Don't just automatically assume Tasha's is okay. Most of the DMs I know automatically just say Tasha's is okay, but make sure you check in. Uh, But you need to be able to cast a spell or have pack magic so you need to be a caster of some sort so even a half caster will do but studying occult lore you learn one elder invocation option of your choice from the warlock class your spell casting ability for the invocation is intelligence wisdom or charisma when you uh, you choose when you select the feat. and if the invocation has a prerequisite of any kind you can choose that in invocation only if you're a warlock who meets the prerequisite Whenever you gain a level, though, you can replace the invocation with another one from the Warlock class. So I'm going to run through what the uh, options are if you have no levels in Warlock, because I'm going to assume if you're taking this feat, you're probably not playing Warlock. Um, So the ones that you can get without uh, prerequisites uh, are Armor of Shadows, Beast Speech, Beguiling Influence, Devil's Sight, Eldridge Mine, Eldridge Sight, Eyes of the Roomkeeper, Feet to vigor, Gaze of Two Minds, Mask of Many Faces, Misty Visions, and The Thief of Five Fates. So the first one is Armor of Shadows, which is a really, really, really great uh, one. It's from the Player's Handbook. You can cast Mage Armor on yourself at will without expending a spell slot or material components. So this has a lot of great uses, especially um, for something like uh, you know an Abjuration Wizard um, that, you know, because Mage Armor counts to refill their Arcane Ward. So it would really, really, really be useful on that. It would also be great on something like if you're a monk that doesn't really want to invest in Wisdom that high, so you're, maybe your AC is a little low, you could do that. Uh, if you're a a cleric that doesn't want to wear heavy armor for some reason, or medium armor you could. Uh, bard you know, could do it. Uh, there are really a lot of great classes that just having mage armor for free, uh, druids uh, as well, would be very, very useful just to make sure that they're a little bit more safe when combat starts. Um, the second one would be Beast Speech. So what Beast Speech does is it gives you the Speak with Animals spell, at will without expending a spell slot and what speak with animals does it get is for 10 minutes uh you get the ability to verbally communicate with okay so the next one is beast speech and what beast speech does is it gives you the ability to comprehend and verbally communicate with beasts for the duration the knowledge and awareness of many beasts is limited by their intelligence but at minimum Beast can give you information about nearby locations and monsters, including whatever they can perceive or have perceived in the past day. You might be able to persuade a beast to perform a small favor for you at the DM's discretion. I think this is a great uh, spell to have, especially if you don't have another caster with it. Extra information in D&D Extra information in D&D is always great, and if you do have a DM who might Like, such as myself, be a little bit more amenable to you trying to convince an animal to do a small favor for you. It can also give you some not combat allies, but maybe something to be like, hey, could you go knock over that barrel and distract the guard? Or, you know, could you tell me how many people are inside? You know, something like that I think would be appropriate for the spell. I think it's a great one to pick up. The next invocation that you could get with this feat would be Beguiling Influence. And what Beguiling Influence does is it gives you proficiency in deception and persuasion. Two great skills they are used a ton in a lot of different games, Uh, especially if you are someone that has some charisma, but maybe doesn't get proficiency in those skills. You know, maybe a paladin. Uh, would be a good option. A fighter could be a good option if you're just going like, hey, I went strength con and I kind of put my third best status charisma. It's not bad to have persuade the, uh, sorry, the uh, proficiency in these skills on any class. I really can't think of a class that wouldn't benefit in some way from having the ability to be slightly better at communicating. Because even though I know most parties will have a face, they will have somebody that is doing the talking, talking out of situations or into places, it's never bad to not be caught off guard and have at least a positive modifier, if not maybe a pretty decent modifier, because of this feat. And for classes that do get proficiency, like Bards and Sorcerers and things like the Warlocks, you can then pick two other skills, and it's just always a great thing to have more proficiencies. I, I can't stress it enough. I think skills are Skill proficiency can be a little underrated sometimes when looking at feats. The next one would be Devil's Sight. So what Devil's Sight does is you can see normally in darkness, both magical and non-magical for a distance of up to 120 feet. So this one may not be as good on a class that doesn't have the darkness spell. Um, that being said, I think that it still would be probably a solid B pick for me out of the options, maybe a B minus, because it does give you 120 feet of dark vision. And most classes do not get anywhere close to 120 feet. I think the average is about 60. So you have double the vision of every other of every race that has dark vision. That's super helpful. And then on the off chance that you do have Magical Darkness casted on your party, or maybe someone else in your party can, you could really make use of this as like a fighter if, like, let's say you do have a a Drow that has the Drow magic to cast Darkness and your fighter can run in to the Darkness, but still be attacking, not at disadvantage, but with advantage against people because anyone who can't see in the Magical Darkness would have disadvantage on their own attack rolls and attack rolls against them would have advantage. They're not able to defend themselves, so I think it it may not be as good as some of the other ones in the list, but definitely a very very strong choice. The next one would be Eldridge Mind. So Eldridge Mind is from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. So again, just check with your DM. Uh, but this gives you the advantage on Constitution saving throws to maintain your concentration on spell. So this one for me is not that great because you could just take Warcaster. Um, Warcaster itself is, I I don't think it's necessarily underrated, it's just not taken as much. What Warcaster essentially does is it gives you advantage on con saves to uh, maintain concentration. Um, It gives you some other benefits, but that's like the main uh, crux of it. Um, And I just don't see why you would take Eldridge (laughs) Mind for this feat. So this one would have to be a D tier for me. I don't think that you should take Eldridge Mind if you're going to take this feat. Obviously you could and just swap it out later, but I I think that the whole purpose of this feat is to get something else and you could just get a better version of that through Warcaster. Um, The next one would be Eldridge Sight. So Eldridge Sight gives you detect magic at will with no spell slot and no components needed. Great spell. I mean, detect magic at will is a concentration spell of 10 minutes, you can detect the presence of magic within 30 feet of you. uh, And you can you see the, the faint aura around any visible creature or object that bears the magic, and you would learn the school of magic, if any. So it really is a useful information gathering. And could maybe prevent the party from opening up a cursed chest, a trapped chest. Um, you could detect maybe where the teleport uh, residue from a misty Step might be. There there would be a ton of different things that this spell would be useful for. I cannot recommend it enough, so I think this one would have to be A tier for me. Um, moving right along, the next uh, invocation that would be on the list uh, without any warlock levels, remember, would be Eyes of the Roomkeeper. So Eyes of the Rootkeeper, you can read all writing, just straight up. You do not need to actually know the language. You couldn't speak it. So if you don't know Celestial, but you have this feat, you could read something in Celestial and understand it. But you wouldn't be able to speak the language. This one, probably a B1 for me. It depends on how much your DM and the DM's campaign is going to focus on gathering information, languages, and being really specific about the language choices. I I do think it's still a solid choice, but I think it does depend on the campaign. For a more political intrigue campaign, where there might be some ancient tomes, dead languages, languages from other realms, definitely would pick it up. So talk to your DM about that one. Uh, The next one uh, would be Fiendish Figure, where you can cast False Life on yourself at will as a first level spell um, without expending Pay spell slot or material components so what false life does is it gives you one d4 plus four temporary hit points for the duration So early on this would be a good thing so if you're gonna pick the speed up uh, maybe at level four or if your DM gives you a free feed or if you're a variant human at level one you could pick this up I mean eight temporary eight potential temporary hit points or five is, uh, five minimum is not bad at all and having the ability to do it, at will for yourself means that pretty much every fight you can have these temporary hit points. And I mean, if you really do want to, uh, cast it in battle, I mean, technically you could re up it, um, in battle. If the temporary hit points go away and kind of use it as a way to maybe take a little bit more damage. If the attacks are coming your way at the sacrifice of doing damage yourself. So. You know, I think it's probably pretty A tier for early levels of play, but then as you get later and later, I think it just gets outpaced by other options uh, on the list. So at overall, I'd probably give it a B, but early on, level before level probably 6 or 7, I would give it an A. Next one would be Gaze of Two Minds. At the Gaze of Two Minds, you can use your action to touch a willing humanoid and perceive through its senses until the end of your turn. As long as a creature is on the same plane of existence, you can use your action on subsequent turns to maintain this connection, extending the duration until your next turn. While proceeding through the other creature's senses, you benefit from any special senses possessed by them, and you are blinded and deafened to your own surroundings. This one is going to depend on the campaign and how creative you are. Um, It really is going to be interesting to use in an effective way, um, because for me... It's not that great. I don't really see too many options for it to be used well in a social context, because you have to have somewhere safe for your body while you're perceiving through somebody else. So for me, there are just way, way too many ways for different rogues, rangers, divination wizards. There are just so many different ways to gather information through stealth and other spells that I think the gaze of two minds follows behind a little bit in that context. And for that reason, I don't think it's as strong as some of the options. But again, if you don't have a rogue in your party, or if you know the style of your campaign would benefit um, from using this, like let's say your your campaign has an organization that only ha- uh, takes in tieflings, right? And you have one tiefling in the party, but you want to be able to uh, kind of see and use you know your understanding of language or religion or whatever it is, then yeah, definitely be useful. But other than that, because it doesn't let you like charm something or like take over the will of a creature, I just I think it gets outpaced later on. The next one would be the mask of Many faces. So what the mask of many faces does is it lets you cast a sky self at will without expending a spell slot. The sky self lets you change your clothing, armor, weapons, to look different um, you can seem uh, a foot shorter or taller you can appear fat thinner in between uh, you still have to have the same general arrangement of like limbs so you couldn't go to like a centaur but you could change from a dwarf to a human halfling to you know dwarf elf to you know human you know something like that you could make yourself look um, up to you because the extent of the illusion is truly up to your creativity um, now if there are things that you add to it um, like, let's say you add a hat to it to match with like the local guard that are wearing hats or berets or something like that. And someone waves their hand through it, it passes right through. So it doesn't create the object. It's just an illusion. And in order to succeed, to recognize that you're disguised, the creature has to roll an intelligence investigation check against your spell safety. So this could be very, very useful on a number of different, um, you know, creatures. You know, rogues could be very, very good at doing something like this. Uh, bards would be really great at this. Sorcerers would be really great at this. Uh, anything where you're either trying to infiltrate, deceive, this could really be very beneficial. Or if you know that your campaign has a lot of animosity toward a particular race of creature, and you just want to avoid while you're in town any trouble, you know, your tiefling that maybe people don't like or maybe it's they don't like humans and you need to disguise yourself from being human you can really change it up to keep that animosity from finding your party and for most of the time most creatures are not going to be on the look for an illusion so you should be fairly safe in those social situations to kind of get in and get out with no one being any the wiser. great option I, i'd put it in a minute. Uh, the next one second to last one on the list of options that you can have is Misty Visions. So what Misty Visions does is you can cast Silent Image at will without expending a spell slot or material component. Um, Silent Image basically lets you create a fifteen, maximum 15 foot cube um, image that appears on the spot and lasts for up to 10 minutes. It's purely visual. There's no sound, smell, or other effects. Um, you can use your action to move it, and the as the image changes location, you can alter its appearance so that the movements would appear natural. So you could make it look like there's somebody walking, a ghost floating, all of that stuff. Uh, Still the same thing as uh, Mass Committee faces an investigation check against your spell DC would reveal whether or not it's an illusion to the creature and anything that is thrown at it, shot at it, whatever passes right through the illusion. I think this is a super creative spell. If you have a DM that really rewards out, especially out of combat creativity with illusions, I would definitely pick this up, but I would only pick it up with talking with your uh, DM. The last one on the list for this one, I know it's been a long one, but I told you it would be, is the Thief uh, of Five Fates. So what the Thief of Five Fates allows you to do is to cast Bane once using a Warlock Spell Slot, and you can't do so again until you lock Rift. So this one I would you would want to talk with your DM about. Uh, because it has the the wording in there of using a Warlock spell slot. I think most DMs would be okay with you using, as long as you're using a spell slot, um, to do it, you know, take it. Bane's a great one. You subtract 1d4 from a certain amount of creatures. uh, Like, I think it's 3, the same as Bless. You subtract a d4 from all of their ability, check saving throws. Uh, It it really is a uh, super... uh, Uh, super great uh, spell like you know making something take a uh, d4 off of an attack roll or saving throw is just too good and can save your party from a lot of dangerous spells and damage which is super good the utility is just through the roof with that spell so again i would highly recommend taking that and that's why and just Remember, I know I'm kind of going back a little bit just to remind you of this, but every time you level up you can switch it out. So this feat gives you untold utility based on what you need at that certain time in the campaign. So if you you know need to do more infiltration type like stuff, you know, Mask of Many Faces, Misty Vision, Beguiling Influence would be really good. If you know you're about to get into some serious fights, you know, like I said, Arm of Shadows would be really really great uh, you know it, it, it could help keep you you know keep you alive um you know misty visions to help do uh some trickery you know eyes of the roomkeeper if you know you're about to go into the ancient library with all these old tomes it's just so good to have the ability to switch this out every level to make your character unique I highly recommend taking it, even on a non-warlock, because it just gives you so many options. Now, obviously, I'm not going to go through all the options of if you are a warlock, because then it opens up to a lot more feats. But I think those are my top three underrated feats in D&D 5e, as it sits currently right now. I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on it. Tell me whether I'm right, wrong, or maybe why there are some ones more deserving of being called one of the three most underrated feats. Until next time, guys, this is Brewmaster Austin signing off. Have a great week. Part of the pod, part of the...